Chapter 19 of Frigid Fracas by Mac Reynolds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dale Grothman. To Mauser's surprise, the Soves actually turned up two genuine Bowie knives. He had expected the duel, actually, to have to be conducted with trench knives or some other alternative. But the Soves, ever great on museums, had located one of the weapons of the American Old West in a Prague exhibit of the American frontier, the other in Budapest itself in an extensive collection of fighting knives, down through the ages, in a military museum. Formally correct, Lieutenant Colonel Bella Kosif appeared at Joe Mauser's apartment three days before the duel, a case in his hands. Max, in his role as Batman, conducted him to Joe, doing little to keep his scowl of dislike for the Hungarian from his face. Max was getting fed up with the airs of the Sov officers. Cast lines were over here, if anything, more strictly drawn than at home. Joe came to his feet on recognizing his visitor and answered the other's bow. Colonel Kosif, he said. Bella Kosif clicked his heels. He held the case before him, opened it. The two fighting knives lay within. Joe looked at them, then into the other's face. Kosith said, Frankly, Major, your somewhat unorthodox selection of weapons has been confusing. However, we have located two Bowie knives. Since it is assumed that the two gentlemen opponents are not thoroughly familiar with, uh, Bowie knives, it has been suggested that each be given his blade at this time. Joe got it now. Sandor Rakowski hadn't become the most celebrated duelist in the Sov world by making such mistakes as underrating his opponents. The weapon was new to him. He wanted the opportunity to practice with it. It was all right with Joe. Kosith clicked his heels again. Our selection, unfortunately, is limited to two weapons. Since you are the challenged, Captain Rakowski insists you take first choice. Joe shrugged and took up the first one, then the other. It had been some time since he had held one of the famous frontier weapons in his hands. When still a sergeant in the category military, he had once become close companions with an old pro whose specialty was teaching hand-to-hand -hand combat. Over a period of years, he and Joe had become comrades, going from one fracas to another as a team. He had taught Joe considerable, including the belief that of all the blade-hand weapons ever devised, the knife invented by Jim Bowie, whose frontier career ended at the Alamo, was the most efficient. Joe ran his eyes over the blades carefully. On the back of one was stamped, James Black, Washington, Arkansas. Joe had found what he was looking for. However, he pretended to examine the other knife as well ignoring the Sheffield, England stamp of manufacture. The Bowie knife, blade eleven inches long by an inch and a half wide, the heel three-eighths of an inch thick at the back, the point at the exact center of the width of the blade, which curved to a point convexly from the edge, and from the back concavely, both curves being as sharp as the edge itself. The cross-guard was heavy brass, rather than steel, and a further backing of brass along the heel, up to the extent where the curve toward the point began. Brass, which is softer than steel, 
and could catch an opponent's blade rather than allowing it to slip off and away joe balanced the weapon he had selected and shrugged this one will do he said kosif clicked the case with the remaining knife shut he could see no difference between the two the selection of weapons had been a formality max saw him to the door and returned to the living room he said worriedly major sir you're sure you're checked out on that thing i've been asking around like and they put those duels on telly here just like we got fracases back home this here captain rakoski's got one whopper of a reputation he's quick as a snake kind of like a freak he can move faster than most people so they tell me joe mused balancing the frontier weapon in his hand it had a beautiful balance this knife so big that it could be used as a hatchet or a machete he was still contemplating the vicious-looking blade when nadine entered he smiled up at her put the knife aside on the table and came to his feet she looked at max and the little man turned and left the room nadine said joe a plane is leaving this afternoon a westworld plane for london joe looked at her speculatively i won't be on it joe listen a year ago you were an individual trying to fight your way up to upper caste you weren't able to make it as an individual joe but now you're a member of an organization pledged to a high ideal joe the organization doesn't need martyrs at this stage it does need good competent highly trained members such as joe mauser he said nothing nadine stepped suddenly closer to him her perfume he noted vaguely was new some sweet scent found here in the sove world undoubtedly it had a heady quality or was that merely the close presence of nadine herself she put her arms around his neck and pulled his head down to her level he had never realized that nadine hair was this much shorter than he she pressed the softness of her lips to his then she held back a foot or two and said into his face desperately seriously does this make any difference to you joe he licked the edges of his lips carefully it makes a great deal of difference his voice was thick his arms came up behind him then you'll be on the plane he shook his head she wrenched herself suddenly free and stood back from him infuriated he had never seen anyone so infuriated he said look darling if i backed out of this the way you want you think you'd be happy but you wouldn't you want a man not a coward i want a live man not a dead hero he shook his head stubbornly you mentioned the organization all right they sent us to do a job here they can't move in the west world until they know where the sove world stands they can't afford an attack a sudden heating up of the frigid fracas right in the middle of the confusion of a socio-economic change they've got to know how the sove world stands what it will do they've got to know about this so-called underground and the religious revival stuff out there in siberia you've been discovered she said hotly they can send somebody else he was still stubborn no there's a leak if they send somebody else the same thing will happen and the next man might not be as much a potential opponent 
for such as Sandoz Rakowski, as even I am. If I run now, the West loses prestige, and the movement sponsored by Holland and Hodgson, and the rest of us, loses prestige too. Somewhere in Budapest is some kind of a group that is watching us. We don't know who, or where, or what they stand for, but we can't afford to lose prestige with them. We're not exactly going to gain it when and if this official assassin kills you. She looked down at the wicked knife and shuddered. Oh, Joe, your mercenary career is over. Miraculously, you stayed alive for fifteen years through it all, from the rank of private all the way up to the rank of major. Now, at long last, you're an upper. You're not going to throw it all away now. He could say nothing. She stamped a foot in uncharacteristic fury. You silly clod! Suppose you do win. Don't you see? They'll simply send another killer after you. They're out to get you, Joe Mauser. Don't you see you can't win against the whole Sov world? Next time, possibly, they won't be quite so formal. Possibly a few footpads in the streets. Do you think they haven't the resources to kill a single man? The side of his mouth twitched. I'm sure they have. But it will give me a few days before they come up with something else. It'd be too conspicuous if I fought their top duelist one day and then was cut down on the streets the next. She spun in a fury and all but ran from the room and from his apartment. Joe looked after her ruefully. He growled in sour humor. Every time matters pickle for me, my gal goes into a tizzy and runs off. The end of chapter 19 of Frigid Fracas by Mac Reynolds Read by Dale Grothman